Amen. That is the sermon today. That's the text that I'm preaching from. Why don't you take a Bible and turn to that text? It's Romans chapter 8, the end of chapter 8. We've come down to the end of this series in this just this, this best chapter in the whole Bible. Come down to verses 35 through 39. While you're turning there. Um, so, you know, as the song says, it's Christmas time in the city. And you see it all around, you know. Uh, everywhere you turn, you see Christmas. Now, for me, the first sign of Christmas, it was October 5th, okay? And I was at Macy's over at Quaker Bridge Mall. And I was walking in the lower level, and I walk in, and there, there, there's Halloween stuff, you know, like orange stuff and that kind of thing. And then right next to it is this display, red and green snowflakes, Christmas stuff, October 5th. This is before Columbus Day. This is before Halloween. This is way before Thanksgiving. It seems strange then, but now I am so used to the reds and the greens and the lights. It just kind of all just, it, for a moment, it just seems to make sense. So for instance, for a moment, it makes crazy sense, I'll even say. So for instance, my neighbors, you know, they're doing some renovation, their house, and they've got this dumpster out front. So they throw Christmas lights on the dumpster and I say, gosh, that looks really pretty. <laughs> Last night I'm with my small group. We're having a Christmas party. And I mean, we had a grand time, a great food, lots of fun, you know. Uh, we had a white elephant. And the white elephant of the white elephant was this Christmas sweater. The ugliest Christmas sweater I have ever seen. It has this cat, this, and I'm not a cat guy, I'm a dog, dog guy, so that's the problem right there. It has this cat kind of leaping up like this with this horrible, evil face, ah, like this. And I kind of looked, I said, oh, that's kind of nice. It's like, am I crazy? You just start to get used to it. So then you come into church and you'd say, well, sure, Pastor Matt's preaching some Christmas text this morning. And you look at Romans 8 and you say, well, that's not a Christmas text. That's not in the Gospels. But this is, I would argue, Romans 8 and these verses, 35, 39. Technically, yeah, they're not a Christmas text. But this passage is without doubt the best Christmas gift that I can give to you. Understanding what is said in this text is the best of all presents. And the truth of these texts just transform. In this text, verse 35, Paul asks the next question in a series of questions that he's been asking, starting up in verse 31. I've condensed those questions down into four questions, four major questions. We took a look at three of them last week. If you didn't hear that sermon, you can go back online. You can you go online and, and listen to it. It's a really powerful text. You should understand it. So we come to the last of those key questions in verse 35, and it reads, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that's a fine, nice, strong translation of it. But it kind of sounds a little churchy, you know? So here are some other forms of that question. Here's how 
you might understand it differently. Do you think anyone is able to drive a wedge, drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? Or again, could someone somehow do something to you or to me that would prove that God no longer loves us? A way I put it, I mean, the simplest way to put it, does God still love me? In light of what I'm going through, does Christ still love me? In light of this trial, in light of this failure, in light of this loneliness, in light of this sin, does Christ still love me? And that question, I mean, it's a question we all ask. That question is the question that drives the final verses of Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read it to you, 35 to 39. And this is a text you've got to stand up for. So please, I'll ask you to rise if you're able. Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Have you ever hiked a mountain? Alex Cato, who was here at the earlier service, who led the beginning of this service, Alex Cato and I were talking about that this last week. Now, Alex is from the Pacific Northwest. They have real mountains there. I'm from New England. We have sort of mountains here. There, I should say. But here in New Jersey, you know, it's kind of hard to come by a mountain here in New Jersey. You can go up to the Water Gap and get sort of mountains. You can go out to the Poconos, get sort of mountains. Up in New England, uh, we would drive up to central New Hampshire to the presidential range. Mount Washington is the best known of, of those mountains. And we'd hike. If you were up in New England, you were really a kind of a woodsy, outdoors kind of person. You know, buff, a granola type, you know. Uh, you, you drive up to Maine, to Mount Katahdin. And I didn't drop an R there. That's the way it's pronounced, Katahdin. All right. uh, in New England, when you climb a mountain, I mean, you, you climb up through coniferous forest, pine trees all around. You climb up, and eventually when you get to the top, typically what will happen is that you will break out of the forest and climb a short ways and come up to a, to a rocky summit kind of a bald-faced summit. And you come up on the summit, and then you look down on everything. And when that happens, you always do two things. First, 
as you look around and you marvel at the view, you'll turn to your hiking buddies and you'll say, this was worth it. And then second, you look down at the trailhead, which is way down there, if you can see it. The parking lot where you left a car, maybe you had to leave it along the highway. You look way down there and you say, can you believe that we came all this way? That's really where we are in Romans 8. We are here now at the summit. The last five verses. These statements, especially when you get down to 38 and 39. These are some of the highest, most glorious declarations in all of Scripture. They are so worth it. As a church, we've invested a few months to study this chapter. It's worth it to finally reach these verses. And here at the summit, we can then look down, back to where we started, down to the parking lot, so to speak. Remember where things started, what Paul was saying when Romans 8 began. I mean, let me remind you of some of those things from Romans 7, which I referenced earlier on in those early messages in the series. He was saying things like, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Or again, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this body of sin and death that just winds up doing the stuff I don't want to do? That was the parking lot. That was a trailhead. And from there, Paul has led us up the trail, step by step, uh, trail segment by trail segment, switch back by switch back, all the way up now to this, the summit. Now, here are some of the things that he's said along the way, kind of trail segment by trail segment. He said things like, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said down in verse 4 that the righteous requirements of the law, let me pause right there, the righteous requirements, those were the things that were driving Paul crazy in Romans 7. I read the law, he's saying, and I just can't do it. This sin within me just does the very opposite. And now he's saying the righteous requirement of the law, because of what God has done, it might now be fulfilled in us. Later, he says, Uh, Verse 7, he says, another switchback trail segment to set the mind on the flesh. That's death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and it's peace. He's climbing higher. Verse 15, he climbs higher. We did not receive a spirit of bondage, but a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, And even higher, verse 21, he says, the creation itself will be one day freed from its bondage to corruption. Verse 26, 
The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, it's God, not us, who justifies. Verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, now interceding for us. Look at how far we've come. And now, we get the summit. These verses. Neither death, nor life, angels, nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. If you have been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, this text is saying nothing, nothing can separate you from God's committed to love to you in Christ. Nothing. Nothing you're scared of. Nothing you're worried about. Nothing you can think of can separate you from God's love. Not death. Not disease, not loss, not bankruptcy, not hunger, not politics, not injury, not mistakes, not injustice, not violence, not evil people, not evil spirits, not grief, not despair, not shame, nothing in you, nothing you can do, nothing that happens around you, nothing that will happen ahead of you can ever, ever wedge a single fingernail between God's love and you. Wow. Now, Paul takes that truth, that truth of his of, of God's unbreakable love. He takes that truth and he sinks it in four different ways in this text. I'm going to use the hiking analogy to walk you through the text and show you how he's sinking that truth deeper and deeper and deeper into the soul. Verse 35. Paul 35, where he starts, and later on, Paul, first of all, writes out a list of hiking dangers. I mean, like any hiker, he thinks through the risks of hiking. This particular mountain. So, you know, bears, dehydration, bears, falling, getting lost, Bears, fog. Did I mention bears? Now, the hike is the Christian life. And in verse 35, he lists seven dangers. And then down in verses 38 and 39, he lists another 10. Most of them in that section come in pairs. I can't go through all 17. It's a great study for you to do it. 
to find out exactly what he is saying by, by each of these words, the kind of stuff that's captured by each of the nouns. Let me, let me just mention a few. He starts out in verse 35 with, shall tribulation. That's a word that talks about external pressures and problems that are really bearing down on you. He adds then next, after tribulation, distress. If, th- if the first word, tribulation, is about the stuff outside that's bearing down on you, this word, distress, is about the stuff inside of you. The kinds of responses, the worry, the anxiety, the stress, the sleeplessness. Verse 35, he goes on to mention uh, shall, uh, famine or nakedness. In other words, shall being so poor so destitute that you can't afford food, that you can't afford adequate clothing. Shall that separate you? Verse 38, he mentions evil spirits named as, first of all, angels, fallen angels, rulers, powers, fallen angels. Evil spirits, they might do something. He mentions in verse 38, death. Maybe death can separate me from God's love. I mean, gosh, death is the ultimate fear. How will I die? What will it be like? How will it feel? What will happen afterward? Can that separate me from Christ's love? He mentions death, and then if you look at verse 38, then he mentions life. That may seem odd. Some of you may say, well, you know, (laughs) I mean, life doesn't frighten me. My my life's pretty good right now. Alex Cotto and I were talking about this this week. And uh, here's, he then, he sent me an email, and he wrote this, and I'm quoting from Alex here. Don't forget, there are chapters to your life Uh, that you haven't read yet, life could still take what or who is most precious to you. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world can testify that Christians are not exempt from bankruptcy, violence, accidents, thefts, wars, oppression, false accusations, or tragedy. And some of you know that personally today. These last few years have taken all you have and even more. These are the kinds of things that Paul has in mind when he writes out this list. And these are dangers that could separate the believer from Christ's love. If God weren't the God that he is. These things could separate you if Christ's salvation weren't the complete package, the finished package that it is. These are the things that could separate you if Christ himself weren't alive. And as Paul has just said, interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. If these things were true, then these things could separate you. But they don't. 
Because Christ is alive and he is interceding and God is the God who he is and Christ's salvation is a complete package. And they can't separate and they won't separate and they don't separate to which I say, hallelujah, in spite of all these dangers, Christ still loves me. Christ still loves you. That's the first way he sings. This truth of Christ. Unbreakable love. Now, the second way is in verse 36, where we get Paul sharing someone else's hiking story. In this verse, Paul writes, as it is written, so he's, being, he's telling us now, I'm, I'm going to quote now from the Old Testament. And he actually borrows a line from Psalm 44. That psalm was written hundreds of years before Christ. And the people of God at that time were facing distress and persecution. Their enemies were winning over them. And this line that Paul quotes is part of their lament. Let me paraphrase what's being said in that line. Because of our commitment to you, Lord, and that's the critical statement, it's because of their commitment to God, Christ, today. Because of our commitment to you, Lord, we, your people, are being mistreated by others all the day long. Because of our commitment to you, we are regarded by our enemies as if we were just sheep to be slaughtered, which they did all the time back then. Sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul is using this story to remind us that God's people, Christians, you, if you're born again through faith in Christ, uh, you are, are not magically relieved from the difficulties of life because you're a Christian. In fact, what the story is telling us is that because we are God's people, we may face, we will face difficulties and persecutions and hardships and even deaths that we wouldn't otherwise have faced if we were Christians. Don't make the gospel, in other words, some sort of prosperity thing, some sort of magical ticket out of the the hardships and the evils of this world. It is not. But that still doesn't mean, what Paul's saying is, that still doesn't mean that God no longer loves you. He, he, He does love you. And nothing, nothing can drive a wedge between you and that love. And when you have to pay a painful price for loving God and others, for following Christ, Christ still loves you. Amen. Third way he sinks to truth, verse 37, where Paul shouts out his hiking mindset. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, that's one of the most unforgettable little phrases in the Bible, more than conquerors. Single word in the original language, three words in English, more than conquerors. 
I just imagine Paul is kind of like, he's climbed up the mountain, he's broken out through, from, the, from the pine trees, he's come onto the bald faith summit, and he looks out and says, guys, we are more than conquerors, look at this. The idea of more than conquerors is you, just, you win by a mile. A glorious victory. A sweeping victory by a long distance. What I especially like about that phrase, more than conquerors, is that when you put it right there in the context, it's not a line simply about the future. I mean, it is about the future, but it's more than that. It's about the present, too. In other words, Paul is not simply saying here that, well, you know, because we have heaven, we can put up with all the stuff here today. You know, he's not saying, gut it out, because God will... Take care of you later in the age to come. It's not what he's saying. He's saying right now we can be more than our conquerors because God takes care of us now in our present difficulties, not just later. Right now, more than conquerors. You may say, well, Matt, I sure don't feel it. I, I get that. At least once a minute. <laughs> I'm saying, huh? Am I more than a conqueror? But hang in there. Just hang on. Even if it's just a little slender thread. A little slender thread of faith. Hang in there. God will show you. Christ still loves you. Fourth way, verses 38 and 39. Fourth way he sinks God's unbreakable love is by sharing his own hiking testimony. I mean, it seems to me here that the whole point of Romans 8, in fact, I could argue the whole point of Romans chapters 1 through 8 is to get us to verses 38 and 39 and the confidence that is found there. Paul says this. He says, for I am sure. Now, I I, I like another translation that puts it, I am persuaded because I think it captures the sense of the original better. It's kind of like, I've I've come to a, a, a settled conviction about this. And that conviction reflects my personal experience. It's not simply a cognitive, intellectual thing. That's important. In fact, up in verse 18, he's talked about cognitive, intellectual stuff. He says, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. Uh, There it is. You know, I consider. Verse 28, he says, We know. But now down in verse 38, he drops that and he says, I am convinced. I'm personally convinced totally sold out to the fact because of what I've been through. I've seen it. And it's not just the rational conclusion that I've drawn. I've been through it. And Paul had. By this point in his life, here's the list of stuff that he wrote to the Corinthians before he wrote Romans. Here's the stuff that he'd been through because of his commitment to Christ. 
I have been put in prison. I've been whipped times without number. I've faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger in the cities, danger in the deserts, danger on the seas. I've been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. That's Paul's experience. And if it weren't for Christ, the resurrected Christ, who totally changed his life on the Damascus Road. If it weren't for the resurrected Christ, Paul, who was an extremely intelligent man, I suspect rather than kind of writing the stuff here he's writing in Romans, he'd say, and if it weren't for Christ, he'd say, I'm done. I've had enough. Why am I putting up with this? But that's not what he's writing. He's writing, I am convinced. That neither death nor life, things present, things to come, future, past, height, depth, anything else, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his testimony. And he's not saying that because he's totally sold on his own abilities. Because he kind of looked inside and said, oh, you know, I'm great. I'm Nike. No, no, no. He's saying that because he's totally persuaded of God's ability to hang on to him, not his ability to hang on to God. John Stott, who wrote, I think, one of the best commentaries on Romans, it's readable commentaries. If you want to read a commentary in Romans, John Stott's in Romans is the one to read. Here's what he writes. Insecurity is written all across human experience. And God's pledge here is not that suffering will never afflict us, but that it will never separate us from his love. This is the love of God, which was supremely displayed in the cross. And then he gives references from Romans which has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, reference to Romans, which has drawn out from us a response of love, reference to Romans, and which in its steadfastness will never let us go since it is committed to bringing us safely home to glory in the end, reference to Romans. Our confidence is not in our love for Christ, which is frail, fickle, and faltering. Our confidence is in Christ's love for us. This is what he's saying in Romans 8. Our confidence is in Christ's love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, in other words, that that true believers will last through to the end. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints needs to be renamed. It's not about us. It is the doctrine, really, of the perseverance of God with his saints. He then quotes a poem. Let me no more my comfort draw 
from my frail hold of thee. In this alone, rejoice with awe, thy mighty grasp of me. Christ still loves me. No better Christmas text than this. As a practical response, have you ever thought of memorizing verses 38 and 39? Getting them down in your heart so they're there whenever and all the time? Last night at that small group Christmas party where I saw the ugliest Christmas sweater ever in the world, great food, white elephant, all that. We had a period of time where there was just, it was, that was, I mean, the whole thing was great, but it was a period of time that was filled with what I would call just sacred, holy moments. Earlier in the fall, we had decided as a small group that we would try to memorize, different ones of us, different verses from Romans 8. And a lot of people wound up memorizing verses 38 and 39. And those who were ready were sharing last night. They were, they were, they were saying the verses that they'd memorized from Romans chapter 8. And I tell you, it, it, it sounds like, oh, it sounds like, you know, reciting your multiplication tables. Not at all. These people reciting these verses from memory and talking briefly about the significance, kind of just having these words come through their own lives, it was, it was holy. Think about memorizing these verses. But a further point, all you here who love Jesus, all you here who have been born again by faith in Christ, take this text and pray it into your tribulations and trials, your disappointments and your fears. And when I say pray, here's what I mean. You take the text. You start with verse 38. Paul writes, for I am sure. So you turn that into a prayer. God, would you help me right now be sure, be persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including blank, whatever it is that you're facing, including this problem, including this difficulty, including this accident, including this breakup, including this financial reversal, Would you help me to know, to be persuaded that this cannot separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And you pray that once, include your struggle in the list, and it may not go far. You pray it twice, and maybe you just start to get a little perspective shift. And then you pray it three times and the spirit starts to stir and you pray it again and you pray it again until you are convinced. You are persuaded that nothing, not even that particular problem, nothing will drive a wedge 
between you and God's love for you. Finally, let me point out that all of this is nothing if you are not personally in Christ. You see what Paul writes. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And as long as Christ remains outside of you, as long as you remain someone who's not yet put your faith in Christ, not yet received him as your Savior and Lord, as long as Christ remains outside of you, then you remain outside of him And as long as you remain outside of him, all the promises in Romans 8, this promise included, they're wonderful words on their page, but they're not yours yet. But if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be your savior, then you will be saved. And Christ will be in you, and you will be in Christ. And then, then, all of Romans 8 is yours. No condemnation, verse 1. No orphan living, verse 15. No accidents, Romans 8.28. And no, no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, risen, from the dead, King of kings, Lord of lords, God of God. You say in Revelation that you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock. And you're asking me to open the door so that you can come in. Once you come in to me, I am in you. And then all this is mine. So, I open the door. I open the door now, if I haven't done so already. And I say to you, risen Jesus, come in. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be in me, so that I may be in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.